Welcome to I'd Rather Be at the Beach, brought to you by the Bonjour Agency. This is the podcast for school marketing people that's nothing at all to do with school marketing, because let's face it, you work hard enough already, this is just for fun. Now, in each episode, I speak to someone in the sector who won't talk about work, but we get to find out about them as a person. And in this episode, you find me talking to Simon Noakes. Now, you probably know Simon already. He runs Interactive Schools, a Marcom's agency for independent and international schools. But he doesn't talk about that, of course. Instead, he talks about his family, his children and their education journey, his entrepreneurial life and his passion for the future of education. But we also discover his love of date night with Mrs. Nooks, something that will make you smile. Anyway, that's all coming up in this episode. So whether you're driving to school, walking the dog or hitting the treadmill in your local gym, buckle up for some fun as we find out about the person who is Simon Nooks. Simon, thanks for being here and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm actually really good. It's a dark morning. It reminds me actually the first time I met you. And I don't know if you remember that. We, were, we, we woke up early. We were setting up exhibition stands. We were in Plymouth. It was a boarding schools association conference. Oh, you wow. were a marketing director for, for another firm. I was kind of just starting out. I think it was my third ever conference. And we just hit mm. it off. And I remember that. I think that was your, your, your turning point in, in starting Bonjour. So it's always got fond memories for me and actually the darkness is that and it's cold as well you know this mm. is the winter I, you know, I can't wait to get out the winter okay so tell me what your plans are for the weekend because we're recording this on a friday i mean how do weekends usually look for you good so weekends with four kids it's quite chaotic but thankfully i've got my eldest now at university so that does, she doesn't really feature anymore much in the weekends for us <laughs> it is picking up my son from boarding school picking up the kids from school Tonight is normally date night, so my wife and I, wherever we can, every single Friday we go out, just the two of us, to our local pub, and we just hang out and we just digest the week because we need it. It's, it's always been a busy week. And then the weekend is a couple of kids' clubs. I still play hockey competitively, so Saturday, Saturday afternoons are always taken up with hockey, and that's my, it's my default. It's something I have to do. Sundays mm-hmm. is a chill day. Sunday rose, walk the dog, and not do very much, really. Awesome. Well, I'm dying to find out a bit more about the hockey, so I'm going to quiz you on that a little bit later on in that case. Tell me a bit more about the family then. So you say you got the eldest at university. Have they just started at university first year? Yes, the first term in. So my oldest, my eldest daughter, she finished school in the summer and she's at the University of Manchester doing business studies with marketing. I'm not saying I influenced her at, at any point, but it's, it's weird that she kind of wants to go into a field that her father kind of does professionally so Mm. she is there in her first term my son is in year 12 at school and so doing his a levels i've got my daughter she's in year 10 and doing gcse's and my youngest son teddy he is in year five nice okay and which school are your three younger children at then my eldest son is at Shiplake College. He's a boarder, a weekly boarder, and he's been there a couple of years now. And we can, I think we'll, we'll get onto the story, well, just about future schools and education, why he's there. But, you know, he was at the Royal Grammar School in High Wycombe, which is where I went to school. But we pulled him out in year 10 because he wasn't thriving. And, you know, it's, it's a real passion of mine. I, th- I think a lot of education is not fit for purpose and relevant. And so you've got to make the right decisions for your child. And we, have, we had, at that point, four kids in four schools. And it was just by design. 
because we wanted our kids to be happy and confident and curious. And if they lose that spark, they will never be a confident, curious, happy adult. Mm. So my son is a, a weekly boarder, but maybe and hopefully that's going to change in the next few months because we're looking at moving nearer the, the, the kids' schools. My daughter is at Claire's Court, senior girls, and my son has just moved to Claire's Court junior boys, both in Maidenhead. Okay, right. So they're all getting some great education, but three in independent education and one at university. That's that's not a small amount of outgoings every year, is it? Oh, outgoings. Yeah. The funny thing with money is I think we can become too obsessed with it. And I think people kind of will look and go, yeah, but Simon, you probably don't worry about it. I have worried about it. There have been some dark times when you when you set up on your own and you would have been through this. But you've got to almost separate out that and you'll do anything you can possibly to ensure that your children get the best start, the best support in education and outside of education they possibly can. You know, Mm. and if that means you're working ridiculous hours, doing what you can to do it, you will do that. And I have Mm. found that, you know, the independent education is, it delivers what you pay for. And, you know, I've got a couple of my, my younger two kids both have some learning difficulties. My daughter's dyslexic, um, so she suffers with confidence issues. She's incredibly bright and creative. But there's a real spark there that, that, that suddenly gets quashed because of academic concerns. And then mm. my son, likewise, you know, he's not diagnosed as dyslexia. He has different slower working memory, but incredibly bright and creative. So outgoings, money... Yeah, independent education costs money, but uh, I think sometimes you have to sacrifice the other things to, to, to get what you want for your kids. So quick question then, how do you go about balancing, and actually this is a tricky question, how do you go about balancing You know, the idea of, of uh, I, I think you used the words of working all hours in order to, 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 to fund that kind of thing, but also being around for the children, and I'm, I'm not making a presumption, by the way, that you're literally working 24 hours and that you never see the family, but you know, how do you get that balance right between not working too hard and spending enough time with them as they're growing up? Yeah, really good question. And I think a lot of adults get this wrong and actually probably the trigger moment for me for working for myself was I became a dad and it was suddenly the realization I was I was working for a creative agency I was commuting an hour and a half each way to do this to do this job and I had Grace my eldest daughter she was growing up really fast and I just knew I wanted to be around and when my wife became pregnant with Max my eldest son that was the trigger moment I always wanted to work for myself I didn't want to set up a business really and it's it's quite ironic that I'm sat here as a founder and CEO of a a large I'm going to call it a global agency because Interactive Schools is a global agency you know we have Mm. 200 plus clients in 38 countries we employ 50 plus people this wasn't what I designed and what I thought I would end up doing. All I wanted to do was be around my kids and have independence and freedom to work for myself, which a lot of people do. So mm-hmm. I made the decision at the time that I would then go, I'll go and work for myself as a freelancer and just contractor and consultant doing digital stuff. That's my, my, my bag. I'm a, I'm a creative technologist. I, I kind of bridge this, this awkward gap. We, you're either a technologist where you get bits and bytes and it's quite functional and it's quite binary. And then you get the creative side where it's very kind of fluffy and very rarely do these things mix. And that's probably where my, where, where my sweet spot is, is that I want mm. things to be usable, ten, technologically advanced and, and intelligent, but also beautiful. 
So getting back to your question on, you know, balancing things, working on hours. No, you know, this business was was all about just working for myself. And Mm. for the first probably eight years of running this business, I had the utter flexibility. I saw my kids every morning. I had breakfast with them every morning. I had tea with them every single night. It wasn't a job that I had to go to. I could find hours outside of their wait times. Right? If I have to get up at 5 a.m. and put in a shift, I'll do a shift and then spend time with them. It's mm. very difficult being present sometimes when you're consumed with work. And so mm. I was very fortunate that I, I, I had enough. I didn't, I, I didn't probably set out to grow a business really, really fast. If I had, I would have sacrificed the most important years of my kids upbringing Mm. so I was around Mm. really for the first the really the first 10 years of my daughter my son and my and my second daughter every single day very rarely Mm. was I not there Mm. and that to me was a massive plus Mm. it changed and it changed when my son was probably about six years ago when my son my youngest son was four and it became a reality that I wasn't I wasn't needed as much and I kind of woke up one day and I went, you know, I'm starting to look at the end goal now going, I'm getting old. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my early 40s at this point. I'm going, mm. I'm kind of working for myself. I've got a few people working for me. I'm actually sat on an incredibly exciting business. You know, what mm. am I going to do? And that's where it shifted. And I had to take my business seriously. So, you know, mm. if, if there's any advice to anybody who's thinking about starting for themselves, again, you've been through this journey and you, yours is a different journey to mine. But it's you, you do have to get balanced. Do not be driven by money. Money will absolutely scupper you in the long term. Um, so I, I've been very lucky. I've got a wife who's been around at home and supported the, the kind of the well-being of my kids and allowed me to come out to work and do this. But mm. we still make sure we have balance. My office is a mile from my house. So, mm. you know, but I have to leave my house. I don't think you can work from home. That's really good to hear. So tell me then a little bit about this life of being an entrepreneur. And I'm, I'm using that word cautiously because in the UK, we, we tend to sort of, we don't frown upon that word, but it's not like in America where, where people use that word very freely. We tend to only assign the word entrepreneur to the likes of Richard Branson in the UK, don't we? But, but actually it's a reality that someone like you is an entrepreneur. Is, is this something that only started when you left the corporate world, when you left the world of being employed to go freelance, or is this something that's always been in your blood? I think, I, I think it's always been in my blood. Yeah, and you talk about entrepreneurs. I, I, I don't see myself because I do, and it, maybe it's a British thing, but I am, right? By definition, I absolutely am. But I prefer entrepreneurial, right? That, that's my being. That's my DNA. That's what I'm like. I'm an inventor. I'm a creator. I, I have vision mm. and ideas and excitement. So that, and that, those, those are the traits of an entrepreneur. So how did it start? When did it start? I wasn't, I, I was a bright boy, but I joined a grammar school. And I wasn't the brightest. Right? I, I, I'm incredibly sporty, and that, that's a big part of my life. It's all sport. And what I found myself was that I, I was just interested in things, in, in problem solving. And problem solving mm. wasn't a thing you had at school in the 80s. It was you'll learn this stuff, you'll go through, and you'll do these subjects, and you'll get these grades. So for me, I was struggling. And so probably the, the, the two probably pivot points for me in this space in terms of invention or entrepreneurship was age 14 my parents lived about half a mile from the from the grammar school and in the summer 
everyone was outside, I would actually go shopping with my mum and put in lots of ice lollies, right? It was hot. Because I realised mm-hmm. that in all the break times and lunch times that we couldn't get access to them. And, and the few that they had in the tuck shop, they went pretty quickly. So I thought, you mm-hmm. know, I live pretty close. We've got a big larder frid, freezer. Why don't I do this? And, and my mum was oblivious to this fact. I was just loading up. She just thought it was... Because I, I grew up with three brothers. So it mm-hmm. was kind of, let's just load up the lollies. It's the summer. We'll put them in the freezer. So my, my, my first kind of venture into, into trying something was that. And so in lunch times and break times, I'd go home, I would get all of the, the ice lollies and I'd go to school and start selling them. And then obviously I, I made money. I reinvested that in more stock next <laughs> week, next summer. So th- and, and my parents only found out about this in my 20s when we were talking about moments. But that was the first point. And it kind of stuck with me that, oh, wow. You know, that that was an opportunity. Interesting. Now, you mentioned about the future of education. Tell me what you mean by that and why you've got a passion for fu- the future of education. And I'm I'm kind of asking this from a point of view where I've, I, I want to know what you really feel about this as opposed to, uh, I'm not presuming that you would do this, but any kind of sales line or an indirect sales line. I'd love to know what the real Simon Noakes feels about the future of education. Yeah, and it, it is difficult when you're in education and you, you have a business that sells to educators. You know, I, I, in one hat, I'm the founder and CEO of Interactive Schools and, you know, we're a leading creative marketing and digital agency. But that, that's my day job. But that doesn't drive your values beyond making sure that they're embedded in your organisation. So for me, A, my own experience at school and the, the, I suppose it's that, that fortunate opportunity that I've had of visiting some of the most incredible schools on the planet mm-hmm. and seeing what visionary educators are trying to do to change curriculum and then coming home and then looking at what we're doing here in the UK, looking at where some of my kids were at school and going, oh my word, we are so far behind. It is so broken. And so I kind of wear this hat, this other hat, and that's probably more my passion. And that's probably where I spend more of my time. It's working with with other educators and leaders going, how do we make education fit for purpose and relevant? Because schools talk about this, about preparing these young men and women for a future we cannot imagine or a world we cannot imagine. But then you kind of roll back and what you recognise and realise is that it's still an academic process where they have to complete an exam and get an accreditation to move to the next level. It's like a game, Mm. right? Mm. You leveled up. Well done. You've passed this piece. But when you get to the end of those levels, you go through school, you do a GCSE UK, then you go and you do your A-levels and then you go to university and you come out and we all end up in the same place. We need a job. We need to do something. And if you then look at it from the other side, what the world wants, what the world of employment wants is they don't want academic Grades. Not, mm. Nobody cares about them, you know. Mm. And so if you rewind it back, when employers are going, like, I don't really care about your, your degree. I don't really care about what you've got A-levels. You, you kind of go back and, well, what's the point of school? Mm. And you've got to keep going back. And I suppose for me, it's, it's looking at my own experience and my own passions to do with technology, to do mm-hmm. with creativity, innovation, 
and going, okay, how, how can I influence this in any way? How can I have an, an opinion and a view? And I care about people. The world is, the world functions because of people. It's human to human interactions. Yes, the robots are here. Yes, AI is here. Yes, computers drive a lot of it. But, that, but that's autonomy. That, that's a natural evolution of any society that, that, that's been for the last hundred years. You know, we've kind of had electrification, we've had motorization, we've had the space age. We're going through this, this, this phase now in the digital era where things are changing so exponentially fast. What we fail to recognize is that humans are not that way designed. We cannot change the rate that technology changes. And so mm. I'm, I'm probably more driven by human design and behavior, the, the physiological, the psychological. If, if we think about the personal interactions that people have with life and society, and then you p apply that to education, you realize that technology then should be an enabler. Now, how do we bring technology in to enable a better experience? And so I talk about experiences a lot because ultimately that's what humans want. Whether it's an experience at school, if I go into a classroom, I, I, I want to go, wow, I'm having a great immersive learning experience. I'm not being taught, right? It's very, very different. And likewise, mm. you know, yeah, outside of work, you know, I, I don't go, you know, you don't go to the pub, you don't go out with your friends and go, okay, now let's, let, let's kind of just talk about these things. And it becomes an agenda-based process. <laughs> it's an experience, it's mm. organic, it's random, but you feel it. And if you feel it, you feel alive. And I think that's, I suppose that, that, that's the driver for me. It's the human side. And I just feel that we're caught in this conveyor belt. And my worry is, is that we go through a cookie cutter education and most people have an off the peg life. So it feels impossible to talk about this kind of thing without referencing back to Ken Robinson and that famous TED talk. Do you think that we need more Ken Robinsons? Because he talks about in that, the way that in school we educate children out of creativity. Do you think we need more Ken Robinsons in this world then? 100%. 100%. I mean, creativity drives everything. Now, if, mm. if, as soon as you, you, you lock away creativity, because that's the problem, when you go from primary school into secondary education you are taking away that level of creativity because it becomes curriculum-based and it becomes topic-based. And when it becomes topic-based, it's very granular and it's also very small. And what some of the, the best schools are doing is that they're doing more, not, not research, but they're doing more experience-based curriculums where I'm not doing maths or, or science or art or any of the subjects. What I'm doing is I'm solving problems. And some mm. of the best ones are in America. And they are, and they'll go out for an entire term, and some of them do it for an entire year, where they will go and solve a problem, a real-world mm. problem. And what they'll end up doing is that they'll bring in maths, they'll bring in science, they'll bring in arts, they'll bring in music, they'll bring in sport, athletics, they'll bring in every discipline. But what they'll do is they'll get kids thinking about it, but they won't think I'm doing maths, right? Mm. They'll go wow, we needed to figure out the distance between that because the shorter it is, the water's going to flow faster, which means those people are going to get water quicker. Mm -hmm. There's so much you can do, and I think that's the bit we're missing. But if I'm talking UK education-wise, we're way off that. We're mm -hmm. fortunate the private sector 
can drive a lot of this, and that's what you pay for with the independent education, is that they can mm. control a lot of their their curriculum. So you're starting to see a lot more of these project-based approaches to education coming in. But mm. Ken Robinson, absolutely, you know, he, he should be put up on a pedestal and constantly reminded of that that's how we should drive education. Mm. But it's policymakers, I'm afraid, mm. that are going to break this. Great to hear your passion when you're talking about this. It really is. Um, now, one of the things you mentioned earlier is, was hockey. Tell us a little bit about that, about, uh, about how you go about playing and, and why that's so important to you. Yeah, hockey. I, I, I stumbled across hockey. It, it, again, it wasn't, it wasn't by choice. I was a footballer. So mm-hmm. primary school football, I played county football. I had a Chelsea schoolboy trial. You know, I was, that was it. For me, I didn't want to be going to education. I wanted to play football. But I passed the 11 plus. I went, I got to the grammar school because that's where you went. And I had the choice of rugby or rugby. And <laughs> I was kind of stuck there going, okay, I'm, I'm, a, scr- I'm a scrawny little kid. I've, you know, I've, I, I suddenly grew physically during my, my kind of middle to late teens. But I was, a short, I was short. And I kind of got there. And I remember being, it was absolutely freezing. And so I endured playing rugby in my first kind of year at, at the grammar school. And I was playing football at the weekends. And then when the second year of school came around, we had a choice and it was hockey or rugby. And for me, it was a no brainer. My best friend who I went to primary school that I've known since we've been four years old, he played hockey. His father played hockey and it was, OK, I'm going to play hockey. But because I didn't like rugby, I was beaten up. Right. It was I was I, it was it was sore. And so I started playing hockey and because of, I was a footballer, I decided to give it a go in goal. Nobody wanted to go in goal. It's either the person that's absolutely crazy or it's the person that's not very good. And mm. so, so I kind of went, okay, it's, I'm hope it's because I'm a little bit crazy, but also as a, as a footballer, you've got to use your feet. So I started, right. I played in goal and I started playing in goal at school and within two years I was representing England. So for me, hockey, I have to do it well. I'm very competitive in any sport. Um, and so that was what got me into hockey. And so I started playing international schoolboy hockey. I got nine caps for, mm-hmm. for, 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 for England, enjoyed, enjoyed that. And that stuck with me. And it stuck with me up until now. You know, I'm, I'm approaching 50 and I still play competitively every week. I train every week and probably... A defining moment for me, and it wasn't representing England as a schoolboy. I went to University College London after school, and one of the best moments I had in hockey was when I was playing Oxford University. So it's a big game, right? Playing Oxford or Cambridge is always a big game, but mm. even more so because my father went to my father went to Oxford. So for me, it was this, this is me, I'm at University College London, I'm playing a goal, we're playing the best team in the country, we had an Mm -hmm. average team, so I knew in playing goal I was going to get a lot. The night before, all I could do was going, God, imagine if I had a really great game, imagine if I made headlines in the Times, because at the time, the Times reported on all university hockey. So I had this vision that, you know, maybe I'll do that. So the next day came and we beat, we beat Oxford University 1-0. Hey. It was a very one, it, it was a one-sided game. Oxford mm-hmm. had, had 90% of the possession and I had the game of my life, right? I, I, I've, I've still got it now and, it was, and I, I made headlines, you know, and it, it was Oxford denied, 
by Defiant Noakes, right? That was it. <laughs> that Brilliant. was probably my most defining moment in life, and it was sport. And I've, I say I've, I've always played it since then. I got injured, though, because playing with an average team in, in goal, I injured my shoulder, so I started playing on pitch. And now, now I captain one of the Wickham men's top teams and, yeah, play every Saturday. But I play on pitch now, so I'm a, I've changed from being a goalkeeper to playing on pitch. Awesome. Well, a great way to keep fit and, and keep in shape, of course, especially as we do get a little bit older in life. Are you planning on playing this weekend? Unfortunately, I'm, I'm a bit injured at the moment. I, I kind of broke my thumb. I didn't think I'd broken my thumb, but I have broken my thumb. Uh, I broke oh, it wow. about eight weeks ago and, and I've been playing on. But the problem mm-hmm. is it, it, I'm, I'm not fixing the problem. Mm. So as much as I want to, and I do play with broken bones because I will rather <laughs> play than not play because it's, it's, it's actually for my mental health is why mm. I play. It's, it's, my, yeah. it's my time, right? When, you're, yeah. when you run a business when you have a large family you have to carve out your time and it's to me it's a moment every week where I get to get rid of the stresses of the week I get mm. to play a, a sport that I just love and I'll play it mm. until I cannot physically play it anymore so yes awesome. I would be playing this weekend and every weekend awesome that sounds really good and probably my last question here is it being Friday night tonight what are you planning for date night well, we normally go to I say, our, lo- our local pub, so that will be, be the plan. We have our table, we have our seats, and we sit together mm-hmm. on the same side mm-hmm. of the table. It's always, always our piece. What I love about having a local is that they know you, they're ready for the drinks, they welcome you in. It just feels like a second home. So, mm-hmm. so that's what's mm-hmm. on, the, on the cards tonight. Awesome. Well, I'm sure you'll have a great night. Simon, we've got to bring this to a close, but just want to say thank you for being here. If anyone's heard anything and wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way they should connect with you? Either via LinkedIn, they can just search for Simon Noakes or email simon at interactiveschools.com or find me on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash Simon Noakes. Awesome. Well, look, thanks for being here. Thanks for opening up your life and sharing what it's like to be Simon Noakes at Interactive Schools, but also, more importantly, to being a husband and father and your, your personal life and a hockey player as well. Thanks very much, Simon. My pleasure, Simon. It's always good to chat. And it's actually quite weird chatting about my life, but it's good. Thank you. Thank you, Simon, for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Always good to talk to you. Now, the next episode is coming out soon, so click the option to follow or subscribe, and it just means you won't miss out on the next one. To find out more about podcasting in your school for your own marketing purposes, then come visit our website. It's thebonjouragency.com and you can find out lots more there. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.